previously on Blood on Gold Mountain, Yut Ho's relationship with Lee Young continued to deepen. Lee Young revealed the truth about his past, how his mother was forced into prostitution until his father helped her escape. Yut Ho attended Samuen's banquet with Hing Sing, fulfilling her duties as a figurehead wife. However, the banquet didn't go as planned. A prominent company member called Dr. Tong challenged Samuen's decision to enter the opium trade. Samuen kicked him out, but it wasn't until after the banquet that he truly gave vent to his rage, with Yut Ho and Hing Sing as his victims. Now, Yut Ho and Li Young must decide how to pursue their newfound love in the shadow of such a powerful enemy. It had come late fall, and the sun hung low and heavy in a sky of blue amber. Its rays struck the earth obliquely, casting long shadows and pouring in through Yatho's window. They filled the room with a golden radiance, bouncing off the polished wood panels and pooling on the bed, where Yatho and Li Yong lay side by side. They had thrown back the rumpled bedclothes and lay there naked as the gods had made them, basking in the sunshine and the heat of their passionate exertions. The window glass threw fragments of rainbow over the two lovers, and there was no sound but a muted rumble from the street below and the deep thrum of their breathing. After a time, Leong reached over and picked up a hand-rolled cigarette. He lit it, and pinched out his match between a calloused thumb and forefinger before passing the cigarette to Yat Ho. Yat Ho sat up. Cigarettes were one thing about Gold Mountain, which she found really impressive. Li Yong smoked them from time to time and had introduced her to them early on in their secret relationship. Yat Ho had been skeptical at first, but they had grown on her. The trick was not to smoke them too often. Their gentle, decadent rush was a delicate thing to be cherished and cultivated with discipline, lest it grow too familiar and lose its luster. She exhaled slowly, allowing a sinuous ribbon of smoke to escape from between her lips. It twisted and danced in the light like a miniature dragon, reveling in its brief existence before dissolving into the golden void. Yat Ho smiled and passed the cigarette to Li Yong. He looked very beautiful lying there in the sun, thick-limbed and powerful, but supple and hairless as any girl she had bathed with in the village. His chest rose and fell with a slow rhythm as he stared up at a scrap of rainbow on the ceiling. Yat Ho poked him. He looked over at her and smiled. What are you thinking? she asked. Li Yong exhaled a billowing cloud of smoke. I was remembering. When I was a boy, we used to bring in the pumpkins this time of year. Big, fat pumpkins. I couldn't even lift them until I was six or seven. The Guayla would buy them like crazy to use in their hungry ghost festival, and we used to cook up the ones we had left over into soup. Yat Ho frowned. Hungry ghost festival? 
But that was more than a month ago. Around the time that we... She reached out to pinch him, and he squirmed away, laughing. Stop that! The Guayla have a different Hungry Ghost Festival. It's coming up very soon now. They've started carving faces into pumpkins and putting candles inside so that they glow in the dark. You can see them when you walk down the street. Except that I can't walk down the street. Yutho's expression was serious. I'm stuck here with Hing Sing and Jade and Phoenix. I've been thinking, Leong. I don't know how and I don't know where, but I think... She took a deep breath. I think we should get out of here. There was a long silence. Yutho could hear the blood pounding in her ears. Part of her was suddenly frantic with nerves. You idiot, it said. This is your one chance to get out of here, and you've blown it. It's too soon. You've only known him a couple of months. What if he's afraid? What if there's another girl who you don't know about? What if this is all just for fun, and he doesn't want to give up his entire life, leave his home, and risk everything for you? She felt panic rise up and grip her throat with an iron claw. But another part of her, a stronger part, forced her to breathe and spoke in a calm, steady voice. Wait for him to speak, it said. You see him every day. You know him very well. He's honest and he's innocent. There is no other girl. This is not just for fun. He may be afraid, but that doesn't mean he won't risk it all for you. He loves you. You know that to be true. What's more, you love him too. And you are not a fool. Well, said Leong slowly, I have been saving up my wages for a long time. There should be a fair bit put away by now. Yutho didn't know what she had expected him to say, but it certainly wasn't that. What? she asked faintly. Well, my parents died when I was 15, and I've been working here ever since. I share a room, so my rent is cheap, and I never spend much on food or drink because I always eat at work. I reckon I have something over $500 stashed away. That's one of the perks of working for gangsters. He laughed. Yet Ho was speechless. Leong continued. It should be enough to get us a lease on a few acres of land. Maybe we could even find someone who'd be willing to sell. The Guayla aren't all bad. I bet some of the wealthy Mexican landowners would be willing to sell to a Chinaman. My parents used to talk about a place near Sacramento where there's a huge floodplain that's perfect for growing rice. I've always dreamed of going there, setting up a farm and living off the land like the ancestors. I've never grown rice, though, so I don't really know what I'm talking about. Yutho laughed. If you can get us there, I'll stake out the best land and teach you everything there is to know about growing rice. You were a farm boy before your parents died. You'll pick it up in no time. Leong sat up in bed. His eyes were shining. We'd have to build a house, I guess. The railroad has a recruiting center in Davis, so there are a lot of Chinese around. I bet we could hire some to help us if we stretch the money. It wouldn't need to be big. 
He was so excited that Yatho was a little reluctant to interrupt him, but she did anyway. Li Yong, she said. He snapped out of his reverie. What? I'm glad you have that money. I have no idea if it will get us as far as a rice farm in Sacramento, but I know that it's better to be fugitives with money than to be fugitives without money. However, money won't help us with our most pressing problem. How do we get safely away from the most powerful gang in Chinatown? Well, said Leong, second most powerful. They looked at each other. Yo Hing's gang is really more powerful than Sam Yuan's? Leong nodded. It's a close thing. I don't know who would win in a pitched battle, but at this point, Yo Hing's organization is a lot more agile. That's why Sam Yuan and Hing Seng won't allow you to leave the house. They're afraid that Yo Hing will kidnap you and make them look like idiots. It took Yat Ho a minute to digest this information. She had always ascribed her confinement to the wanton cruelty of men, namely Sam Yuan and her husband, Hing Seng. Why would Yo Hing want to kidnap me? She asked Li Young. Because you're as beautiful as a goddess and as stubborn as Sun Wukong. Look at you. You're literally glowing. Who in the world wouldn't want to kidnap? Ow! Yatho had pinched him in a very sensitive place. Tell me, she commanded. Leong sighed. Well, other than the obvious reasons, Yohing would like to kidnap you because your marriage is a feudal link between Sam Yuan's gang and Ah Choi's gang in San Francisco. If Yohing got a hold of you, neither the Huiguan nor the Triads would ever trust Sam Yuan again. Yatho knew that the Huiguan was the parent organization of Sam Yuan's gang. Who are the Triads? she asked. The Heaven and Earth Society, said Leong. Highbinders. Yatho nodded. Highbinders were a secret society of elite assassins who the San Francisco Huiguan hired to dispose of their most dangerous enemies. They dressed in black, and each of them carried a sword or hatchet alongside the ubiquitous cult six-shooter. Yatho's brother, Ah Choi, was one of them. Isn't Yo Hing afraid the Highbinders will come after him if he kidnaps me? Yatho asked. Leong snorted. Yo Hing isn't afraid of anything. Both of them fell silent, lost in thought. The light from the window was creeping slowly up Yatho's body, and she closed her eyes against the glare. Outside in the street, a drunk was singing. Surrounded by flowers, I drink alone from a pot of wine. I look to the heavens and lift my cup and the moon and me and my shadow makes three. What if Yohing did manage to kidnap me? Yatho asked dreamily. Li Yong let out a hollow laugh. He'd need a lot of help. The only way out of here is right through the brothel. What if he had an accomplice? Someone who has a key and knows when everybody in the brothel is asleep. Like who? asked Li Yong. His tone was innocent, 
but his face was already breaking into a reckless grin. Like you, said Yutho. I sing to the rhythm of the changing moon, proclaimed the drunk on the street. I dance and my shadow turns into madness. Suddenly, Leon got up and began to get dressed. Where are you going? demanded Yutho. He looked over at her, teetering slightly as he stepped into his pants. I need to make Lobagao for dinner. It won't take me too long. Can you take care of refrying it and putting some out for Hing Seng at the usual time? He's always late, so he won't notice I'm gone. Sure. Yutho leapt lightly out of bed and grabbed her robe, which was hanging over the back of a chair. Her gungung's bagua was in one of the pockets. She slipped it over her head. Where are you going? Leong looked at her strangely. To see Yo Hing, he said. Tonight? Yutho was suddenly gripped by the realization of just how dangerous a thing they were proposing to do. Leong smiled. His honest face was a battleground of excitement, anxiety, determination, and hope. Why wait? he said. Then he kissed her gently and hurried out the door. Yoheng's headquarters was located across the street from the Cornell building, right at the heart of Chinatown. It was only a few blocks from Yutho's apartment, but tonight the walk seemed much longer than usual. Leong kept having to fight the urge to look over his shoulder. The fastest route would have taken him right past Samyuan's Ninyang store. Instead, Leong took the back way, circling around to approach the Cornell building from the opposite side. Leong wasn't important enough for people to take note of his whereabouts, but Chinatown was small, and he didn't want anyone he knew to see him on this particular errand. As he approached the Hang Chao company office, Leong cast a furtive glance across the broad, dusty square. There was no one around. He walked up to the door and knocked. After a few seconds, which felt more like a few hours, there was a noise inside and the door swung open to reveal a short, fat man with rough, clay-colored skin and enormous hands. Who are you? He asked by way of greeting. My name is Li Yang. I have a proposal for Yo Hing. Even to his own ears, Li Yang sounded like he didn't know what he was talking about. The boss is busy, said the fat man. He was reaching out to slam the door when a familiar face appeared over his left shoulder. Tong Wan, Li Yang exclaimed. The fat man grunted and twisted around to look at Tong Wan. You know this guy? Tong Wan nodded. He had his Erhu case slung across his back, and his long salt and pepper braid hung down the side of a cotton jacket. Sure do. Remember Li Mui, the woman who first figured out how to grow Chinese turnips in this town? This is her son. Makes the best shumai in town. Oh yeah? The fat man looked back at Li Yong who now detected the faintest glimmer of respect in his glance. All right, come on in. 
Tong Wan can vouch for you. Leong stepped inside, squeezing past the fat man, and followed Tong Wan down a corridor and up a flight of stairs. So, said Tong Wan, what brings you to Hang Chao headquarters? I have a proposal for Yo Hing, Leong replied, fighting down his feeling of foolishness. One that will give him a chance to make a fool out of Sam Yuan. Tong Wan laughed. He'll certainly be interested in hearing about it. I must be getting old. It seems like only yesterday when you were a little boy whose greatest joy in life was chasing chickens. Now you're cooking up intrigue between Chinatown's biggest gangsters. Where in the world does the time go? They stepped out onto a landing and through the door of a large room. It was long and lofty, with furniture scattered carelessly about. The walls slanted up from the floor, conforming to the shape of the peaked roof above. Overhead, skylights caught the last rays of the evening sun and threw them across the floor in a pattern of glowing rectangles, crisscrossed by bars of shadow. Yo Hing was sitting in the middle of the room. He was straddling a chair, which looked small and spindly in comparison to his enormous barrel chest and tree trunk arms, which were balanced precariously on top of the chair's low back. As usual, Yo Hing was wearing a guayla suit, but the room was hot and he had removed his jacket. His shirt sleeves were rolled halfway up to the elbow. Around him, a number of men sat slouched in chairs or leaned up against the sloping rafters. Yo Hing was talking to them in Spanish, which was one of the two languages that Yat Ho collectively referred to as Guaylo. Hey boss, called Tan Wan. I brought someone here to see you. Yo Hing broke off his conversation and looked over at Li Yong. His bald head, bushy beard, and arching eyebrows made him look like Zhang Fei, the war god's drunken brother. Welcome, said Yo Hing in Ziyong. His voice was so deep that Liang could feel it in his feet. Tell me who you are, my young friend, and what business you have with the Hong Chao Tong. Liang stepped forward. His throat felt a little dry, but he mustered his confidence and spoke. My name is Li Yong, and I'm the cook and housekeeper at Sam Yuan and Hing Sing's brothel on Calle de los Negros. Yo Hing did not move, but something in the room changed. It was as though Sam Yuan's name was a magic spell, which concentrated every eye and ear in the room into a single, razor-sharp beam of attention. Leong took a deep breath. I'm here because I want to kidnap Hing Seng's wife. There was a pause. Dust motes drifted between shafts of sunlight. Then Yo Hing began to laugh. It was a big, boisterous laugh, full of mischief, and it seemed to shake the entire house. The slouching men around Yo Hing began to laugh as well, though several of them were Guayla and could hardly have understood what Leong had said. Excellent, said Yo Hing. 
after he had finished laughing. He stood up and walked over to where Leong was standing. Leong was not immune to boyish pride, but all the same, he felt a thrill of fear as Yo Hing approached. The man was huge. At a head taller than Leong, he was of middling height, but his neck and shoulders seemed better fitted for a bull than for a man. His hands were large, covered with tattoos and scars. He clapped one down on Leong's shoulder with enough force to kill a medium-sized animal. Come on, Tongan, grab this man a chair. Would you like something to drink? By Joe? Whiskey? Um, said Leong, who was not in the habit of drinking. He took the proffered seat and somebody thrust a tumbler into his hand. Thank you, he said. Yo Hing grabbed his own chair and straddled it again. So, something tells me this is no ordinary kidnapping we're talking about here. You don't dart your eyes like a man with gambling debts, or clench your jaw like you're holding a grudge. You say you work in the brothel. Would that be downstairs with the merchandise, or upstairs with the management? Leong was taken aback by Yo Hing's casual reference to the brothel girls as merchandise. However, this wasn't the time or place to start an argument. I work upstairs, he said. Ah, so you know the girl, said Yo Hing. Then, unexpectedly, are you sleeping with her? Leong glanced around at the rough men who stood sipping their drinks and leering at him. Yes, he said quietly. I see. Yo Hing's voice rumbled like a steam engine. You're in love with her. One of the men began to chuckle. Shut up, said Yo Hing, without bothering to look at him. What does the young lady think of this plan? He asked Leong. Leong smiled in spite of himself. It was her idea. Yo Hing burst out laughing again. Leong noticed that one of his eye teeth was crowned with gold. And the two of you want me to help you get safely away. Is that it? Leong nodded. Good. Yo Hing leaned back in his chair so that it tilted up on two legs. Gentlemen, do you see how this young man says exactly what he means, without wasting any breath on flattery, justification, or promises about how he'll pay me back? There was a rumble of assent. I like that, said Johan. I like it so much that I'm willing to send a carriage with four men to help him break into Hing Sing's house and make off with the lady. I'm also going to give them money for a steamship out of here, so they won't have to worry about getting caught. On one condition. He turned suddenly to look at Leung, who felt his back stiffen. You're going to have to marry her, said Yo Hing. Leung wasn't sure what he had been expecting, but it certainly wasn't that. But, 
he stammered. But she's already married to Hing Seng. Yo Hing chuckled. It sounded like a tiger purring. That's a Chinese marriage. Do you understand English? He asked suddenly. Leong nodded, and Yo Hing switched to the second Guilatong. Chinese marriages are personal arrangements which aren't recorded in either the church or courthouse ledgers. As far as the Guaila are concerned, Chinese marriages might as well not exist. Isn't that right, Henry? A tall, thin Guaila man stepped forward from his place against the back wall. He was wearing a shabby suit and seemed to be going bald, despite his apparent youth. That's right, he said. Compared to Yo Hing's voice, the young man sounded like a friendly ghost. He greeted Li Young with a little wave of his hand. This is Henry Hazard. He's a lawyer in the Guala justice system, said Yo Hing. Even in English, he managed to make the word justice drip with irony. Henry is a good friend of mine. He's a smart guy. Very interested in what goes on in Chinatown. Nicey meeting you, said Henry in broken zip. Leong smiled. Henry, said Yohei, since Chinese marriages are not recognized by the state, that means the young lady is single and free to marry under California law. Isn't that right? That's right, said Henry. So, if Leong here and Yohing looked at Leong with his eyebrows raised, Yat Ho said Leong quickly. If Leong and Yat Ho get married by, say, my good friend Father Benicio Sanchez, down at La Iglesia de Nuestra Señora La Reina de los Angeles, then they'll be married in the eyes of the law no matter what Samuel says. They sure will, said Henry, and they'll have the documents to prove it. A marriage certificate, said Yohang. You can take care of that, right, Henry? Two copies. He raised two fingers. Henry nodded. What do you say, Leong? asked Yohang. Leong nodded. I think we can do that, he said. Think? asked Yohang. I need you to be sure. There was something in his voice that sent a chill down Leong's spine. It wasn't a threat, exactly. More like a glimpse of a will so powerful and singular that it felt inhuman, like a force of nature. I'm sure, said Leong. Yo Hing grinned. His gold tooth gleamed in the dying light. Good. He stood up again and walked in a tight half circle around his chair before speaking again. Two days from now, Samuel is going to San Bernardino. He'll ride at dawn. An associate of mine has subpoenaed him in a court case. That's when we'll strike. Leon, would you say there's a time of day 
when Hingsing and the brothel girls are least likely to get in our way. Seven in the morning, said Leung without hesitation. It's not unusual for some of the girls to be up till six, but by seven it's always pretty quiet. Yo Hing nodded. That's good. The noise and bustle of morning traffic will cover the carriage's approach. I'm going to send the team right to the door. No point in trying to be subtle. Can you make sure it's unlocked? Leong nodded. When you see the carriage out of that big window, come downstairs with Yutho as quickly as you can. Two of my men will stay with the carriage and keep watch. The other two will come inside to make sure the stairway is clear and to cover your retreat. Let me think. Yohing frowned. The front door opens directly onto the central corridor, and the stairway is the last door on the left. Is that correct? Leong was impressed. Once upon a time, Yohing had been involved in managing the brothel, but the last time he had been inside must have been before his split with Sam Yuan, three years ago. The stairway is the second to the last door on the left, Leong corrected. The last one is the broom closet. Yo Hing clicked his tongue. Glad I checked. All the other doors are private, except for the common room and Jade's office, right? Leong nodded again. First and last doors on the right, respectively, he said. Good man. Yohing had been pacing up and down as they spoke. Now he turned to face Leon. The carriage will take the two of you directly to the Iglesia, where I'll be waiting for you with Henry and Father Sanchez. Do you understand Spanish? Leon smiled. Mas or menos, he said. Know how to say yes? See, si, said Leon. One of Yohing's associates, who was Mexican, gave him the thumbs up. That'll do, said Yohing. From there, we'll take you to a safe house to wait for nightfall. With Sam Yuan away, the Ziup company will be slow to react, but they'll definitely be watching the road to San Pedro. We'll have to be careful. I don't want a big gunfight preventing us from getting you to your ship. Yohing suddenly reverted to Zia. Sound good? Leong stood up. Sounds good, he said. Thank you. Don't worry about it. Yohing grinned again. Seven in the morning, not tomorrow, but the following day. The door will be open, said Leong. It had better be. The sun had finally gone, and the sky outside was fading from silver blue to deep purple. Yo Hing's gold tooth shone like a distant lantern in the gloom. Tong Wan will take you out the back way to keep you safe from prying eyes. You can leave that on the chair. He indicated Leong's tumbler with a casual wave of his hand. The whole room suddenly began to stir, shuffling furniture, lighting oil lamps, and talking in low voices. 
Oh, and Li Yong called Yo Heng. Li Yong, who was following Tang Wan out the door, turned to see the big man silhouetted against two newly lit oil lamps, whose golden light seemed to bloom against the triangular pattern of the rafters. Congratulations on your engagement. Later, when Yoheng's various associates had drifted off to attend to their nighttime activities, the Hangchao kingpin sat in the big empty room, drinking scotch with Henry Hazard. I don't understand, Joe, said Henry, using the English name which Yoheng went by when moving and dealing in Los Angeles' Anglo community. If Sam Yuan is going to be out of town, why don't you just make a break for it and get those kids on the first ship out of here after the wedding? There's no way the Seap Company would be able to stop you. Yoheng took a drink from his scotch. It tasted good. A little smoky, like bole tea. Because, he said, I don't want them to leave until after Samyuan gets back. Henry stared at him. What? In the light of the oil lamps, the young man looked twice his age and tired. Time was hard on the Guaylo. Yoheng suspected it was their diet of hard, dry bread and salt beef that corroded their bodies from the inside so that few of them lived past 40 and their streets were full of young men with old faces. Yoheng sighed. If I just steal the girl and her lover away while Sam Yuan is out of town, then he'll have an excuse. He'll be able to pin the blame on some hapless subordinate, and perhaps the San Francisco companies will attribute the whole thing to Sam Yuan's bad luck instead of my power. That's not what I want. What I want is to humiliate Sam Yuan so thoroughly that even his own organization will see him for the stiff-necked mule that he is. I've already begun sowing the seeds with the help of the good doctor who came to visit us after Sam Yuan's autumn banquet. Henry nodded. He had been present when Dr. Tong who went by Gene among his Anglophone patients, came seeking Yoheng's protection after his falling out with Sam Yuan. Dr. Tong was by far the most capable physician in Los Angeles, and Henry had felt embarrassed to hear him negotiate protection payments with Yoheng. However, the doctor and his family were in real danger, and he could afford to pay. Anyway, business was business. As for our two little lovebirds, I'll get them on a ship. First, though, I need to make sure everybody knows that they're under my protection. They're married, and there's nothing Sam Yuan can do about it. Henry shook his head. That'll mean going to court. Why risk it? I mean, what if Sam Yuan finds them and kills them first? Yoheng shrugged. What if he does? He won't, though. He'll see the whole thing as a challenge from me. 
After all, he brought the girl all the way from China to marry his man and to make the two of them look respectable and well-connected. Now, my man, Li Yong, will have the girl, and he'll be claiming that the two of them are married. Sam Yuan will want to take them to court because he'll think that he's sure to win. He doesn't understand American law. All he knows is how things work back in China. How's that? asked Henry. Yo Hing grinned. In China, only the strong survive. At any given time, the strongest gang around will have set itself up as the government, and then its will, the will of its leaders, is the law. There's no book that says what the strong can or can't do in China. Just old Confucius, who respectfully makes suggestions about what the strong should do if they want to appear virtuous. Henry took a drink of scotch. Anyway, Yohing continued, Sam Yuan will summon them to court, and I'll make sure that they go. First, I'll speak on behalf of Yut Ho and make my case, which Sam Yuan won't really understand. Then, Sam will stand up and make a speech about honor, discipline, and how much of a rogue I am. Then I'll bring in Li Yong, who will show the court his marriage certificate and will win the case. Am I right? Henry sighed. Yes, I don't see how you could lose. Good. Yo Hing gulped down the rest of his scotch and stood up. Then all that remains to be seen is whether Sam Yuan blows steam out of his ears like a tea kettle or boils over like a pot of soup. Now, Henry, it's getting late, and you have a wife and children waiting for you, so don't let me keep you any longer. Anyway, I have other business to attend to. As he walked out the door, Henry fought down the urge to turn back. He wanted to beg Yo Hing to reconsider, to ask him if he wasn't afraid that someone would get hurt either during this escapade or afterward when Samyun inevitably took his revenge. It was no use, though. Everybody knew that Yo Hing wasn't afraid of anything. And besides, Henry didn't want the big man to think he was weak or soft-hearted. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, tell us in a review. Remember to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and reach out with thoughts and questions on Instagram and Facebook at Blood on Gold Mountain. Episode 8, Heathens, will be released on Wednesday, June 30th. Blood on Gold Mountain is brought to you by the Holmes Performing Arts Fund of the Claremont Colleges, the Pacific Basin Institute of Pomona College, the Public Events Office at Scripps College, the Scripps College Music Department, the Entrepreneurial Musicianship Department at the New England Conservatory, and our Patreon patrons. 
It is written and produced by Michael Huang, narrated by Hao Huang, and hosted by Emma Guise, featuring original music by Michael Huang and the Flower Pistols. A special thanks to Kusuma Tre Sapucho for the amazing artwork, Sheila Colisaire for her critical PR guidance, Shayna Krizan for her Instagram wizardry, Rachelle Huang for her editing prowess, and Ivo Terra from Simpler Media Productions for his immense expertise and support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.